0: Now, what explains Faith Presbyterian Church? This month of June, we've been, we've been asking that question as we celebrate our 80th anniversary. On June 21st, 1936, the first worship service of our congregation was held. And so we've been asking that question. We saw that the, the initial catalyst to start faith was missions, taking the gospel to the, the far ends of the earth, making the gospel known around the world. That our church was committed to, to those that would proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. That, that worship is central. That even on that first Sunday, as, as people spilled out of a living room onto a porch, that they came to hear the gospel preached. We've seen the centrality of that gospel message, that Jesus has rescued us and reconciled us to God. But, but what caused the, the first members of this church... What caused them, and, and, and how did they decide what our priorities would be? How did they, they pick those things to be priorities? Well, it, it's here. In Paul's words to Timothy, Paul's words to us, these are the inspired words of God. When, when Paul says that all Scripture is God-breathed, do you see, as you, as you peel back the layers to explain Faith Presbyterian Church, we can talk about the church gathered in worship. We can talk about the, the centrality of the gospel message. We can talk about taking that gospel in mission. But how do we get there? How do we know that that's the place to start? It's, it's here in God's word. And so that's why in the, the months leading up to the formation of Faith Presbyterian, when our founding pastor, Harold Laird, explained why he was committed to the message of the gospel going around the world, he wrote in a letter to the, the congregation of First and Central, where he was pastor at the time, he said that, that he was committed to the full integrity of the Holy Scriptures. The full integrity of God's Word, that it was true and trustworthy and was the starting point and the foundation. And then in a sermon on that first Sunday, when he preached in an evening worship service, Pastor Laird, he said, he said there's a danger of those who, who will set the Bible aside or put themselves in judgment over the Bible. Those that say, well, I'll I'll take the parts I want to take. So there's a danger because do you see what they're doing? If you only pick and choose the parts of the Bible you want to believe, then you make yourself greater than the teacher himself. The danger is you make yourself greater than Jesus. Because if, if the Bible is not your foundation, then you become the master. You become the judge, you become the arbiter, you become the one who gets to decide. And so when we begin to peel back the the layers of of why does faith church exists, it exists because of the truth of Scripture. See, we go on mission with the gospel message, we gather and worship to, to rejoice in the gospel because we have heard the gospel proclaimed to us from the truth of God's word. This is the cornerstone of our Christian faith, the truth that God has proclaimed to us in Scripture. And so these verses in 2 Timothy are familiar verses to us, the ones that we, we teach to our children in Sunday school classes, that all Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. But it's, but it's more than a slogan to be memorized. It's the, the foundational principle for us as a church. And so this morning we're going to look at the, the source and the sufficiency of God's Word. The source and the sufficiency. First, look, at, look with me at, at how Paul is encouraging Timothy. He says to him in verse 14, you can look there with me, but as for you, so this is in contrast to, to verse 13, evil men who will do whatever they want. In contrast to that, Paul tells Timothy, but as for you, continue in what you have learned and have become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. And how from infancy you have known the, the holy scriptures which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. You see, the, the, the first source that, that Paul is pointing back to are the teachers that brought the message of the gospel to Timothy. He says, you can trust this message because you know who taught it to you. I mean, one of the, the prominent theologians in, in the church today, John Piper, who's a retired pastor from, from Minnesota, when he was asked the question, why do you trust the Bible? Because my mama told me to. Now that sounds like a like, he's cheating, right? No. That's the, that's the answer Paul wants Timothy to give. Timothy, why can you trust the Scriptures? Because my mother taught it to me. And we, we see earlier in this, in this letter, back in chapter 1, verse 5, Paul mentions uh, t- Timothy's mother and grandmother. He says, I'm reminded of, of your sincere faith, which first—this is 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 5— I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois— and in your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. See, Paul knew that, that from infancy, Timothy had heard this message from his mother, from his grandmother, teaching them the, the truth that this is God's word spoken to us. Paul's pointing him back to the source that you can trust those that have come. And, and think of it, especially for those of you that had the privilege of coming to faith in Christ as a, as a child, as a young person. You can look back and think of Think of sitting with your parents and hearing them teach the gospel. You can think of a a Bible school teacher that prayed with you during vacation Bible school. You can think of a Sunday school teacher who week after week after week opened God's word and proclaimed it to you because she knew it was true. So Paul says, consider the source of the message you've heard. You learned it from trustworthy people that loved you, that cared about you. And Paul also would include himself then in that. Because Paul, on his second missionary journey, came and, and found Timothy. And Timothy, who had grown up in the Old Testament scriptures, the Hebrew Bible that he had learned as a child, now finds its fulfillment in Christ as Paul comes preaching the gospel. He joins the ministry with the apostle. And so Paul, this is, this is the very last letter that the apostle Paul wrote. Paul, at the end of his life, knowing that he is near death, can say to Timothy, Timothy, you can trust this message because you've walked with me. And not just like casual walks and, you know, through, through air-conditioned corridors. No, Timothy, you have been with me through persecution. Timothy, you know how I've been tortured for the truth of this message. And yet, Timothy, you know that I'm proclaiming it to you because I love you. You are my spiritual son, my son in the faith. So Paul says we, we know the source from which we've heard it, the, the people that loved us, that came before us. And for us as a congregation, we have that privilege. For those of you that have grown up here at Faith Church, I mean, I, I can measure how long I've been at Faith at this church by, by the height of my son. I love that my three kids are here week after week to hear the gospel from you. Yeah, they, they get stuck hearing it from me, but they get to hear it from you. And in some ways, that that's, can be more impactful to them because it's, it's easy at times to kind of tune your parents out. I don't know if you, if you ever did that as a kid or if it's parents now, you see your kids able to do that. But when you have a Sunday school teacher who comes alongside your child and prays with them and loves them, when you have a vacation Bible school t- teacher who walks through the, the hot sun day after day and prays with them, when you have a youth leader who goes on a retreat and, and stays up to have difficult conversations late into the night to proclaim the gospel. And w- not only do we have that legacy of people that we know, but, but we can look back to, to names that are simply names listed now in in records of the church, of Sunday school teachers that went before us, those that taught our teachers and and those before. We have generations of of faithful witness to the gospel. We have, like Paul, missionaries who went out and were willing to suffer for the faith. We've heard this month of the faithfulness of our first missionaries. So you know the source of the message. But of course, Paul doesn't stop there with the, the human teachers Paul says that ultimately the source of God's word is God himself. Look again at verse 16. All scripture is God-breathed. I mean, it's, it, it's essentially a word there that, that, is, that we just have to translate using the, the parts of it. it. It's breathed out by God. It comes from God. God is the source. God is the foundation. God is the one who speaks to us. It's just a compound word that, that Paul has smushed together to say, it was breathed out to us by God. God is the author of Scripture, and all Scripture. And, and of course, we know that Paul, is, when he talks about the Holy Scriptures in verse 15, we know he's thinking of the, the Old Testament, what we would call the Old Testament Scriptures, the Scriptures that, that Timothy grew up, grew up learning. But, but actually, in, in Paul's first letter to Timothy, he actually quotes from the Gospel of Luke. So Paul already had the resources of, of New Testament Scriptures. Peter will, will refer back to Paul's writings as being Scripture. And so when, when it talks about all Scripture, or the holy Scriptures in the plural, Paul is making clear that, that the, the inspired writings of the New Testament come to us from God. And of course, inspired means more than just inspirational, you know, the, the sort of halftime speech of a football coach to, to get his team up off the floor, get back out there for the, the second half, for that comeback. No, it's more than that. It's more than inspirational. It means the, define, the, the authority of Scripture is God himself. It comes to us from God, and therefore it must be listened to. It must be listened to. We have to humble ourselves because God is the one who speaks to us. God is the one who, who brings us the truth of his word. Now, if you're, if you're following along closely, you may feel like you've, you've caught me in something here. All right? Because ultimately, what, so far, what have I said? We can trust God's word because God's word tells us to trust it. And now you think, oh, see, this is where I've now caught you. See, Christianity really isn't on that strong of a foundation. How do I know that, that, that Jesus loves me? For the Bible tells me so. It's that, it's that children's hymn that we love to sing. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. It's a circular argument, right? God's word can be trusted. How do I know that? Because God's word tells me it can be trusted. And we all know, if you've taken basic logic, that a circular argument, well, I mean, you're just, it fails. Except, except when you're arguing for foundational first principles. You see, If there's another authority I can point to to say, I know this is God's word, well, then that becomes my first authority. It becomes a a chain that that takes me back. How do I know God's word could be trusted? If I had another reason, and there are lots of supporting reasons, that that it's united together, that that the witness of of many different human authors inspired by God fits together, that while it was written over, over more than a thousand years, its central message points us to Jesus Christ. Yes, there are there are supporting principles, but, but ultimately the only, the only truth I can point to is back to the Bible itself because it's a first principle. If I point anywhere else, then I've got a new starting point, a new first principle. And to be fair, you haven't, we haven't really caught ourselves here. We've just kind of stopped to say this is the way foundational truths work because it's the way your foundational truths work. Work. So you may, you may have come in this morning not trusting the Bible, or even if you have a general respect for it as, as useful literature that's, that's been an influential in world history, you, you're willing to kind of pick and choose what parts you'd, you'd focus on, what parts you'd, you'd trust. But ultimately what you end up saying is, well, I, I don't trust the Bible because I have a, a different first principle. And it might be that you're saying, I, I trust Myself. I trust myself to be the one who can judge the Bible. But if I push you on, well, well, what's your reason for trusting yourself? Well, you might be giving me some supporting reasons. I'm a really smart person. People come to me for advice. I'm generally reliable. But ultimately, your, your reason of why can I trust myself is, well, I, I, mean, I just know it. I know that I can trust myself. Don't you, don't you see the, the problem with your argument? Your first principle is, I'm the one who's trustworthy. How do I know it? Because I just know it. And so, so your, your argument is circular as well. And that's because any first principled argument has to be circular. And so then the question really then becomes, who can you trust? Do you trust yourself to make this ultimate decision? Or do you trust God? I mean, it's as if, it's as if we want to we put God on trial, and we want to put him on the witness stand and say, God. Prove to me that you're trustworthy. Because I've got all this other evidence that's been presented from my life, from science, from the evil in the world, from, from all the questions that I bring that make me think maybe your word really isn't that trustworthy. God, I want you to prove it to me. But you see, that puts us in the place of being judges. But for our good, God actually does prove it to us. God is willing to speak to us. God is willing to prove the truthfulness of the message. He's, he's willing to say, look back at the messengers who brought it. Look at the, the impact of Jesus Christ. Look at the salvation that he has brought. God is the one who has rescued us. And so as Christians, we, we take the affirmations of, of Paul here in 2 Timothy as foundational, that all Scripture is God-breathed, that comes from God. And so it means it must be our authority. Is it for you? Is it your authority? Or or do you look at the, the teachings of the Bible, especially some of the, the, the teachings about morality, and you say, Well, I mean that might have worked a generation ago or or maybe a couple of generations ago, but but you know it's really kind of outdated to live by the, the teachings of the Bible. You know what? So I'm gonna keep the 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 happy the instructions of Jesus you know, sort of the, the peaceful instructions of Jesus, but the hard ones, you know, like the live holy lives, the flee from sexual temptation, those kinds of principles, you know, I'll kind of set those aside. I'll go with the ones that, that make sense to me, like do unto others as you would have them do unto you, turn the other cheek, those kinds of principles. Care for the poor, I'll take those. But, but as soon as you do that, you're, you're making nonsense of God's word because now, now you can affirm, verse 16, that all Scripture is God-breathed, you're putting yourself in, 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 in a place of judgment over those those truths. And so to be, a, to be a Christian, to be a follower of Christ, is to actually humble ourselves and to admit that if God spoke to us, if God speaks to us now in his word, we should expect at times to be offended by it. Because otherwise, do you, do you, do you know what we're saying? When God's, if, if we just pick and choose, then we're saying, well, whatever God would want is exactly what I already want. I mean, what I want right now is the ultimate Moral perfection. And so, anybody that's going to correct me, if God wants to step in and correct me, I'm, I'm just unwilling to tolerate it. But do you begin to see the arrogance of that kind of posture, that way of living. So, we as Christians need to humble ourselves to listen to God's word because we, we know the source of God's word. God speaks to us, God speaks to us with authority. So, do you turn to God in His word? Are you reading His word? Are you listening to it? It's why we've set for you patterns in your life, trying to, to help you. In, that's part of the reason we gather in worship. So you will hear God's Word. You'll hear it preached and proclaimed. It's why we encourage you to, to connect to a community group so that you can have, have people reading God's Word with you and applying it to your life. That's why Sunday school happens Sunday after Sunday after Sunday. So you can systematically walk through God's Word and hear it. But when you, when you walk out, are you taking it with you? If, if somebody moved all of the Bibles in your house, you know, the one on your app, they, they deleted the app off your phone, they moved all the, the Bibles in your house, how long would it take you to figure it out? I mean, would it be a frantic search first thing tomorrow morning? I, I have to find it. Where, where did I put it? Maybe I left it over at church. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'll call and I'll swing by. I'll pick it up. I mean, what if, you, what if you lost access to God's Word? Would it change your daily routine, your daily life in any way? I mean, sadly, I think functionally for many of us, it wouldn't. It wouldn't. And so if we're going to be people who say that all Scripture is God-breathed, if we, if we look to God as the source of Scripture, if we look to Him as authority, then, then we need to humble ourselves and come as those who listen. When the church gathers corporately, when we gather in, in, in small groups in Sunday school classes, but you need to do it as a family and on your own listening to God's Word because all Scripture is God-breathed. And so we've, we've, we've seen now the source of Scripture, but, but Paul also shows us the sufficiency of Scripture. He shows us what it accomplishes for us. In verse 15, we, we saw that the Scriptures that, that Timothy learned, even from his infancy, are able to make him wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. The Old Testament Scriptures, when you see that they, they reach the culmination, the pinnacle, the peak in the ministry of Jesus, in his death and resurrection... When we come to God by faith, then God makes us wise for salvation. Salvation is granted to us. The scriptures are what you need to hear the message of the gospel and to find salvation. They bring us to Christ himself because Christ is the word spoken. Christ is the the true prophet. Christ is the king who makes declarations since we need to listen to him in his word. And then verse 16 sets up for us the the structure of how Scripture works in us. Paul begins with the affirmation that all Scripture is God-breathed, and then he tells us the the sufficiency of Scripture, how it works in our lives. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. Now those, as as you kind of run through them, almost sound in many ways just like synonyms of each other. And and there's a sense in which they are, but, but all commentators point out the structure that Paul gives. The first two verbs relate to, to what we think, relate to what we know, relate to our doctrine. So they are, the Scriptures are positively useful for, for teaching us the true things of God, but also the negatively rebuking us when we are thinking wrongly. So Scripture works to, to, to correct and instruct us in the way we think. But, but the, the second two verbs, the correcting and training in righteousness— are verbs that describe the way we act. So it, it's both the way we think and the way we act. It's both our doctrine and our conduct. Because Paul says that, that we need to be corrected. Sometimes we're, we're doing the wrong thing and we need correction. Sometimes we're then we need to be trained to do the right thing. And so Paul is, is making clear to us that, that, that even just in these four verbs, that Scripture is all-sufficient— to both teach us the truth and correct us when we're thinking wrongly. To both correct us when we're, when we're doing the wrong thing and teach us how to do the right thing. It's, it's all-encompassing. It is sufficient for us. And this is where humility is demanded of us. We have to actually come to God's Word and say, I haven't figured it all out yet. And it means as you're applying Scripture to, to difficult concepts or difficult decisions in your life, it's not always that, that it's just a matter of, of flipping to the index at the back and, and finding the one word that, that will get you to that verse. No, it's understanding how does, this, how does the, the, the true story of Jesus apply to my situation? It means we, we learn to apply it in our relationships as we, as we learn to seek forgiveness and, and extend forgiveness to others. It means we, we need God's Word to, to instruct us in what is true. We don't just go by what, what feels right or what is culturally acceptable. We have to, to humble ourselves and expect that there are times that Scripture is going to rebuke us and tell us, you are believing the wrong thing. Those are cultural lies that, that you have fallen into. And every culture in every age, everywhere in the world, has lies that it believes. And so each of us need the, the rebuke of Scripture. We need the teaching of Scripture to let us know how we should think we need the correction that comes because, because all of us, as sinners, want to live our own way. And so it's appropriate when we gather in worship that, that we offer our lives, Lord, take my life. When we say, I'm going to walk by grace, I, I have none but thee. And yet, we, we know that we're people that, that, well, we try and cut corners. We know that we're people that are, that are harder on others and the way they act than we are on ourselves. And so we need the, the correction that comes From Scripture, we need the the continuing training that Scripture gives us. Scripture is sufficient for us. Verse 17 then then shows us the the pinnacle. So that the man of God, the follower of Jesus, the the Christian, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. If you want to know what it looks like to to follow Christ, then you then just keep reading. Keep reading God's word, the the word that that you've heard. And yes, you may be able to sit through a Sunday school class and know all of the right answers. You might have, have all of the content filled out. But you still need help in, in being corrected in, in how to apply it to your life. We, we, we need to be thoroughly equipped. It means Scripture is sufficient to accomplish the purposes God has given it to us for. We're thoroughly equipped. And, and so, so what does this mean for us as a church? We've spent the last month kind of thinking about our foundational principles. That we're a church that is committed to missions. And we have been from the very beginning as, as the church decided we won't support missionaries unless they're going with the truth of the gospel. So the church began to, to support its own missionaries outside of the denominational structure. We're a church that says we have to gather together in worship. We're a church that, that says the gospel message that God has rescued us in Jesus Essential to who we are. How do we, how do we apply this today? Well, it, it's, it's really in some sense to go back and, and recognize that, that the command of these verses came back in verse 14. See, all, everything else that we, we've looked at so far today is really the, the, the outworking of, of, the, of the one command in this. The command is in verse 14. It's continue. But as for you, continue in what you have learned. See, it wouldn't be enough for us to stop as a church and just look back on the the reflections of 80 years ago and the history of God's work and faithfulness in our midst. I mean, there are lots of museums you can go and visit to, to see what Christians of past ages have done. Faith Church is not meant to be a museum. This isn't a museum for us to say, wow, look at the great things they did. I'm really proud of them. Yes, we, we can honor and rejoice in what God did through those that came before us so that we continue in what we have learned. We stop and we reflect, not just so that we can see what happened in the past, but so we can see what God wants to do right now. And so we reaffirm our commitment to the, the, the importance and centrality of missions. We say that gathering and worship means that, that we're going to gather weekly. We're going to gather as a, as a church because it's while an inconvenient pattern according to our cultural expectations, it doesn't really fit my kids' sports schedules. But it means I'm going I'm to continue in what I've learned. We're going to hold the gospel message central that Jesus died for us and he's been raised from the dead. We are going to come back to our core commitment of God's word because we're going to continue in what we have learned. Paul's command is that the church keep going. You know, it's, it's, it's almost as if, I mean, this is terrible that this is the cultural reference I immediately jump to, but, but it's Luke being told, stay on target. Stay on target. You know, at the end of, at the end of Star Wars, just stay on target. That's, that's what I'm telling you to do today continue in what you have learned. Stay on target. It's not enough to know that that was once true. You have to know that it is now true. But, but here's the great news. This message is not an antiquated and old message that needs to be dusted off for a new day, that needs to be spruced up, that needs to be changed or adapted. No, this message is the message we need to hear. Because it's the message that God himself has rescued us. So when you feel the weight of the rebuke, for for your wrong thinking, when you feel the weight of correction and you know that you haven't lived the way you should, you know you have a Savior who has. One who came speaking and teaching the perfect truth of God, believing the true message, and one who died in your place. One who took your sins upon himself. That's the message for us right now. That's the message that that we need the world to hear. And so when we as a church reflect on on what we've done, it's, it's so that we can stay on target for the mission God has given us now. When the, when the church made the move from, from 14th and DuPont, where the old building was beginning in 1936, when they moved here, they had the first worship services at Christmas in, in 1963, and then, then they had the, the formal dedication of this worship space in February of 1964. And in the cornerstone, you'll notice maybe you've walked past it hundreds of times and never noticed there's a cornerstone with the date on the, on the bottom of the steeple, and in the cornerstone is a, is a capsule. It has some photographs of the, the, the early church's history. It has lists of names of, of members of the church, both at its founding and in 1964 when the, the cornerstone was laid. It has, it has some, some bulletins of worship services. But in there sealed the, really the key element, and it's, it's in the worship service from that day, The Word of God, the Bible. There's a Bible buried in the cornerstone. A symbolic gesture of the the second generation of faith Presbyterian church. Pastor Laird, who was our first pastor, had already retired by that point, but, but was invited back, and so he was here to pray at that service. Ken Horner, our second pastor, officiated in the worship service. But that second generation said that, that we too stand on the Word of God, the Bible. Now I don't have a symbolic gesture for us to 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 bury a new time capsule. I want us to reaffirm, I want us to continue what has been true. What was true for the church in 1936 that we will stand on the word of God. What was true for the church in 1964 we stand on the word of God, the Bible. That's the commitment that we as a church make because we know from whom we've learned it. Those that have gone before us teaching us the gospel message. We know that that it comes from God himself and we know that it's sufficient to strengthen us, to encourage us, to correct us. And so we trust in God's word. We listen to the Bible and so keep on. Stay on target. Continue in what you have learned as we take the gospel message to the world. Let me pray for us.